Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Booze from the haters, point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah, watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah, get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one, let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell, along with um, my, my my brother, Brock. How are we today? I'm doing well, man. Uh, paying homage to my guy. Uh, there we go. New shirt. There we go. Back, rip bean. Uh, but Austin, we got a lot of hoops to uh, talk about, so let's get right into that. That's for sure. So we're going to start off with sort of a, a, a story that kind of, I guess, blindsided the NBA to an extent. Um, <clears throat> the the Nets go about and hire Steve Nash uh, to be the head coach of the franchise. Who had it first? And, what? I said, who had it first? Who had it first? Yeah, Krell TPL had it yeah, first. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, I had it back in early August. Uh, I had the information. Um, then I got one, so I'm happy. Uh, people reached out to me and were like, congratulations, that's, that's a good hit. And I was like, thank you. And it, was, it felt good to get one. Um, but, you know, I actually think it's a really good hire. Um, just because I think, like, like, we, we, like, we can't just assume the guy's a bad coach because he, has, he hasn't, because he's had no prior experience. So I think with, 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 with Steve Nash, um, he, Obviously commands a lot of respect with star players, considering Kyrie and Kevin Durant both wanted him to be the head coach of the Nets. And I always think that having a point guard as the head coach is typically going to work out better than any other position. Um, for obvious reasons, meaning if you if, if you consider the fact that the point guard is usually the floor general, they, they're going to know the ins and outs of the offense typically – um, the point guard's going to know, you know, like the defensive schemes. They're going to know how to rally a team together and sort of be that facilitator, um, both as you know, on, on both as like in the in terms of like basketball, like playing, like facilitating the offense, but also how to facilitate success and you know leadership amongst amongst players on the team. And so I think Steve Nash is is a good hire until proven otherwise, and. You know, people have said, like, well, this is like a white privilege thing, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you could make, I guess, that that, that could be an, a conversation worth having, except for the fact that two very outspoken, 
you know, African-American players on the Nets were the ones who wanted to bring him in the first place. It's hard to it's hard for that to be white privilege when two two black players said no we 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 want this guy to be our head coach. So I, I don't think it's a matter of of um of you know privilege at all really. Um, what, what do you think about the hire? Yeah, I actually really like this hire, and I think for Brooklyn, uh, you get a guy who's under the age of fifty years old. Austin, I like the point you hit on. Uh, your head coach is a point guard. They they know the nuances of the offense. And for Steve Nash, he played with Dirk Nowitzki, uh, who a lot of people hail as the player that gave Kevin Durant the opportunity to come to life, like a, a player that kind of made this stretch four or, or the stretch five um, a prominent position in the NBA. So not only does Steve Nash have the experience with players similar to Kevin Durant and, of course, Kyrie Irving, a, a world-renowned point guard, that's what Steve Nash was, but also – I think what's really important is that he's in touch with the game and he's not too far removed from the game. And if you listen to his All the Smoke podcast with Matt, the, Matt Barnes and Stack, uh, a thing that Steve Knack talked about was as he got older and he always kept his body in great shape, conditioning was a priority, healthy conditioning for Steve Nash. As he got older, the game kind of went away from him. So he felt as if he still wanted to play, he still could have played, but the game escaped from him due to age, and that happens to everybody. Uh, so in, in the latter half of Nash's career, he wasn't necessarily a head coach, but his role on the team as a player was a mentor for other players, younger point guards, players on the team. So I think with Steve Nash, it's an experiment that Brooklyn should be willing to take. And if it goes south, I, I don't think there's going to be too many repercussions. This isn't a team that you need to steer in the right direction. It's not a rebuilding team. This is a team with identity, and its identity is superstars. So while I may have been a little more cautious if the team didn't have Kevin Durant or if the team didn't have Kyrie and it was just bringing along Dinwiddie and LeVert, sure. But this team has superstars. Steve Nash was a superstar, was a superstar, my apologies. And I think it's a good hire. You also keep Vaughn as the assistant head coach, and he did a really nice job in the bubble proving that he, he deserves the – or at least he deserves recognition for what he did as a coach this season. Yeah, and I think one thing that's also important is that if you by getting a coach that's not so far removed from the game, you mm-hmm. kind of preserve and kind of assure that the system is going to be modernized and it's not going to be something that's like rooted in in, in in old school philosophies. Like Steve Nash retired what in like the last I th- not five years, I think it was like the last six, seven, eight years maybe. Mm-hmm. But the game had had the game had already begun to move towards you know that. A, a three-point philosophy and on top of that like you know he he played for the seven seconds or less sons so i mean he, he he's not this you know this outdated mind who is stuck in old ways i think he's somebody who can come in there and and, and you know play the you know coach the game as the league is evolving now and i and i, and I think that he also already comes in with an advantage of knowing that hey the two guys leading the way, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they already endorse him. They're already going to have his back. And right. that's going to set the precedent down the rest of the roster that like, like, you know, Hey, we can't, we, you know, we can't bully this guy. We can't, you know, like he's not a substitute teacher. And I think that's going to really help him as well. Um, the Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets says Austin Krell drops Steve Nash bomb first credit given. Nope. 
I will say I was I, I was given credit. I, I can't lie about that. I was, and it was I appreciated it. He also says keep grinding. I appreciate you, these these Sean Marks. Um, now let's go over to the the Sixers candidacy. And as the news kind of dropped with Steve Nash and with Jay Wright this week, it kind of I wouldn't say like closed the window on some candidates for the Sixers because Steve Nash was never really a candidate for the Sixers that I know of. But um, with Jay Wright saying like, look, no thanks, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was pretty funny because like, because like, because like, cause like if, if if the top college coach does not want to leave his 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 you know his uh, his standing to come coach you know the local NBA team that he grew up with. Tells you about the state of the Sixers, and I also think that that isn't to say like he was, you know, he definitely wanted the job. I think he was perfectly happy to be, um, you know, in Villanova, and I think he loves what he's doing. But I also, no matter what anybody says, I also think that there is a price for everybody, and anybody can be had for a price. And I and I do think that if you know Josh Harris hands over a certain dollar amount on a check, he's probably going to accept it. Um, and so. While I didn't think Jay was going to leave for this job, because I also didn't think it was the right fit. I mean, he wants like a three or four guard offense on, you know, on his on in, with his personnel, and the Sixers don't have one guard, let alone four. <laughs> so, so I mean, I didn't think that was a, that was going to be a, a good fit for him. And people would say, well, you know, you're a Villanova guy, you you had that bias. Like, no, I I would understand him leaving for an NBA job. This one didn't make sense. Like the Bulls job made more sense. Hell, even the the Pacers job would in some ways have made more sense. Virtually 29 jobs other than the Sixers job would have made sense for Jay Wright. Um, so, um, you know, he's not going to come here, but I think it also, you know, we, we see that the Nets aren't going to go for Ty Lue. Um, I think it kind of not tunnel visions the team, but I think it, I, I think all signs point to, to Ty Lue being the next head coach of the Sixers. And, you know, some people want to say he's a LeBron guy. Uh, that you know, and and they want to like they want to like connotate him with, you know, like whatever reason being a LeBron guy is a bad thing. Like because if he didn't have any role in them winning a championship, um, and you know, th- there are statistics that are alarming. Like they were never really like a top ten defensive team, and I think their offense what was 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 maybe surprisingly underwhelming to some extent. But I also, you know, if, if you read Mike O'Connor's article for the Rich Ricky Sanchez podcast, he makes a lot of great points. One being that Ty Lue was happy to give up, um, you know, it was happy to like allow his, the defense to cost the team games because they wanted to blitz the pick and roll um, with the ball handlers because they thought that was the only way to, 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 to prepare for the Warriors. So they were fine using the regular season as a preseason, essentially. So that way they would be prepared defensively for the Warriors. And, I mean, it worked for them once. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Ty Lue has not been given fair consideration. And I also think that – look down, like, the history of coaches. Phil Jackson had Jordan. He had Pippen. He had Dennis Rodman. Kobe, he had Kobe. He had Shaq. There are so few coaches – if 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 any ever that haven't had like one to two maybe even three stars on the team, so I mean you have to have star players. So why is it that 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 we discount? Um, um, why is it that we discount Ty Lue 
because he was affiliated with LeBron James when all coaches throughout the history of the NBA, really, they had stars as well. You have to have stars to win the NBA. I don't really know how forward thinking these Sixers front offices, and I don't know what changes are looming, but uh, one thing I noticed that both teams in Los Angeles did, the Clippers and Lakers, is that they kind of stockpile coaches. They got assistant coaches, guys that can help with development. Uh, they, they don't just have one-man coaching staffs because these teams, they, they require delicate care and attention to detail. There's stars you have to manage. There's egos you have to manage. There's offenses you have to implement. For Philadelphia, I think Ty Lu is a good move for head coach. And, uh, again, you can use LeBron as a caveat. You can say, well, he had LeBron, so I can't really evaluate his coaching tenure. And at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because you can say, well, he had LeBron. So – I don't have anything else to care about because he had the best player in basketball at the time. The things I look for, uh, Mike Connor definitely hit, uh, Michael Connor definitely hit in the article, like uh, scheming in the regular season for the postseason is very important. Adaptability is very important. Uh, maybe his usage of LeBron James or Tristan Thompson getting PNR going is important. But I think going Ty Lue as the head coach kind of signifies where Philadelphia is and how they want to run this offense. Uh, Ty Lue is a coach that has a lot of experience maximizing LeBron James' gravity. Uh, a player very similar to LeBron James in, in that sense would be Ben Simmons. So I think if the team does ultimately go Ty Lue, that's the answer in how they'd like to ha have their offense function. It's going to function through Ben Simmons and then pivot to Joel Embiid. But I don't think this is a job for Ty Lue alone. So I think if Philadelphia wants to get really creative, they bring in a good assistant coach. And that isn't retaining Udoka. Uh, that, that could be Nate McMillan of Indiana to maybe help with some defensive philosophies. Uh, there could be other coaches as well. But I think if Philadelphia was smart, they would load up on as many good voices in the locker room they can. Yeah. And now, I mean, I've said this like a thousand times. I don't want to hark on it. Um, but – I, I, I do think there is a reason to be concerned. Like the only downside to to to, to Ty Lue as head coach, I think, especially if you consider the fact that like like like, like we're going to inevitably compare him to Brett Brown. That's the only coach we've known in this in this era of basketball. And I think he's gonna be a major, major upgrade over over Brett Brown. Um and so you know, I think the only downside really is this offense is inevitably going to favor Ben Simmons as you know, like a featured player more um, than than it will Embiid, and that's something that concerns me because I don't think like we're that far away from Embiid saying, you know what, I'm done with this franchise, like I want out, um, and and I and. I think if you if 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 you put if this offense is it's clear that he's not being used and you know it's another slight the team puts against him because keep in mind they've already gotten rid of his two best friends in the team. They've already signed a one hundred nine million dollar insurance policy for him. They've already like had a GM talk about him on Twitter. And it took like a week to fire that GM. They've already shown him that he 
is not the most important thing to them. And so I definitely think that, you know, we're not that far off from Embiid saying like, this isn't for me. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and I think Ty Lue never really had a big man in, in Cleveland that would make him have to feature a big man. Like, like, like we're talking about Tristan Thompson versus Joel Embiid here. Like, what are we talking about? And so I, I'm curious to see, perhaps even concerned to see how they, um, uh, you know, how they play with, um, with, with you know, like, like how, how they play with, 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 with Joel. Um, and so it, it would, it, that, that's the only thing I, I, I am kind of concerned about. Um, other than that, nothing really bothers me about, about the higher idea at all. Uh, Philly underscore heat says, Oh, so this is a, a Heat fan from Philly. Okay. Jay Rich deserves better. Um, sure. I mean, yeah, Jay Rich was phenomenal this season. Absolutely great. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've, I, oh, I have another one in my DMs right now. I have another one in my DMs right now. How do you feel about being so astronomically wrong about Jimmy Butler going to the Heat? This is why I don't open my DMs that much. Cause you get like little like bugs and maggots and all over the place in your, in, in, in your mentions. And it's just, it's horrible. Um, but whatever. I, I had this coming, I suppose. Um, but it's a little overplayed now. Definitely getting a little bit, I guess, unnecessary. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I think people have to give Tyloo a chance and, 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 and they're, they're not willing to do that because, they want to get the best of the best, but I think he's the best candidate on the open market. Um, and you know, a lot of people are like, well, "Well, you know, like, how about this former star player?" Um, and so, I, I think it's, I, I think it's like, okay, sure, like that's a, it's a, it's a nice name. How do we know that that's going to work? When is a star player coaching a team ever, ever work? Um, I mean, that, that doesn't say that that, that, that that hasn't worked, but there's also no proof that that's there's a there's a, there's a, a, a sensational correlation between it definitely working and you know that player being a star in his own career. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I'm less concerned about how Philadelphia is going to use Joel Embiid and more optimistic. And I say that because in the previous seven years there hasn't been much of a system with carved roles in that system. So I think at the very least, Tyron Lue is going to implement a system. And once you see this system, you'll kind of be able to see how players are able to fit into it. Uh, what roles players have coming off the bench, where Joel Embiid is going to be uh, on nine out of 10 plays, what the half court set is going to look like. So I'm more optimistic actually to see what Ty Lue can implement rather than concerned because Joel Embiid's a guy who's uh, usage of 30 or higher every season. And, He's one of the most dominant forces in the league. So I don't anticipate he completely disappears in an offense, and I don't think there will be enough turmoil to warrant Joel Embiid running out of Philadelphia. I think at the moment that's kind of like the – the not the scapegoat, but the reach for Philadelphia fans. That's that's something they have to complain about. So I'm actually more optimistic than I am uh, concerned, Austin. So then that means that you think it would be somebody else. 
who would who would get, I guess, traded. Like, if you think it would be Ben Simmons, that well, that's I'm, what yet, that's what it implies to me. I subscribe to the ideology that neither one of them has to be traded. I think that. Oh, so do I. No doubt. In in, in a world, but, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I just think, like, the only thing that, that, that I think is, like, they've been so mismanaged that at some point they look around the NBA and say, they're like, hold up. Other franchises don't treat their stars like this. They don't put misfitting pieces around. They don't, you know, the, 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 they, they, they don't have this, like, this, like, this joke of a front office. Um and so I think we're not far off from at least one of them. And um, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year, but I think we're like one to two seasons down the road from one of them saying, look, I'm out. So the way I see it is like you look at Utah and everybody wants Utah to split their duo up. Either Donovan Mitchell's going to want out or you got to trade Rudy Gobert. You look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee is underperforming for the second consecutive season in the playoffs, and they're probably going to look to reconstruct that roster. They, they built the incorrect pieces around Giannis, unfortunately. So when I look around the league, I see a lot of potential duos that can be split up or a lot of good destinations for players. But at the end of the day, if Joel Embiid wants to get traded or, or Ben Simmons wants to get traded, where are they going? Right. So if Donovan Mitchell is going to get traded, where's he going? If Giannis is a free agent, and he's walking. Where's he going? So I think there's a lot of speculation for these guys that are top tier players as to where they're going to get traded or where they're going to sign a free agency. But I think the most plausible thing that will happen with Philadelphia is the two of them last for a little while, maybe another coach or two longer. And if they keep falling flat in their face, then the organization looks to break the two up. But at this point, I don't foresee how there's problems enough between both Ben and Joe and the organization any further than this year where the one of them would want to get sent off or, or, or traded or, or request a trade. Uh, the organization has, has been great in giving them the keys. They've given them all of the money they could have wanted. They, they extended both of them on max contracts. So uh, I think both are cognizant of that, both like the city of Philadelphia, and I, I don't really think it'll be an ugly breakup if it is a breakup. Fair. It's fair. Um, moving on to the actual games. And before we get Philly Heat says we will never forget hashtag Heat Twitter. I will never forget that there's a Heat fan in Philly. I mean, I'm guessing this guy just became a fan like, what, 2013 when they got LeBron? That's probably what happened, right? See, this is your problem here. You can't, you can't be bad at the Heat fans and then antagonize them. <laughs> I got no problem with with, with with someone who's a lifelong Heat fan, like like has a reason to be a Heat fan. I I, I think it's disgusting that you have people from like another, um, you know, like another like side of the country who was like, oh yeah, man, like Heat Nation forever, like that that like 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 yeah. Um, and 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 then you're like like bro, you 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 you're from like Louisiana. What are we talking about here? Get out. Um, Carlo stu, stu, Carlo.studentsworld uh, says, hi, guys. Possible destination for Joel, New York City, Washington, D.C., New Orleans. Why? That would be interesting. Well, so I think the D.C. idea would probably be 
um, Beal, Beal, and then I, I don't know what, like what what the Knicks or or even Brooklyn or New Orleans can offer. And so I, I think it I think it would be I, it, it it wouldn't shock me if this front office did that because that's what they are. But I don't know what the assets would look like in return. So for that reason, I I don't even know where I, where I would go with that. Um, let's move on to some actual basketball. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> it's about time we talk about basketball. It's a basketball podcast. Um, let's let's go to the the, the Raptors Celtics series first. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that has been a really weird series. I mean, the the, the Celtics. I mean, the, the Raptors just straight up were not compared for game one, or not, or not not prepared for game one, and um, you know it, it bit them. Like they they were really you know. And even I think after the game, like Fred Van Vliet even said, "We like the Brooklyn Nets didn't prepare us for that game. Like, shut the hell up. Like, yeah, like, like, like this is why you're the two seed. You're not supposed to have to be prepared for for to play to play the the, the lower seed. You 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 play who's in front of you, and you prove that you're the two seed. Um, but it's been a really weird first two games, and then the last two have been way different. And obviously, we're going to go back always to that." Uh, game-winning shot by OG Ananobi, but that was an incredible, incredible like last two minutes of play because, like, for, well, first because like, um, I think it was OG himself or even Marcus Sol who 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 made the mistake of 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 not being in proper help position because in the NBA off the pick and roll, the help was come from the weak side, and so you had OG and and so Kemba's going towards like the far side of the lane and then OG is supposed to rotate over. And if you like freeze frame the clip, Kemba is like pointed towards that sideline. Like, you know, like, like, like the, the, the left sideline and Tatum is all the way back open in the corner, but he can't turn around and make that pass. And even if he can, like you have time to get back and recover. So OG stays too close to Tatum and then they can't, um, you know, th- th- they can't like, you know, get over far in time enough. And then all Tice has to do is just, just like kind of like, like, like leak back door and Kemba has him. So the, the Raptors like completely botched that coverage, but then Boston comes out in this zone on, on the inbound play and they put taco fall in. and taco. I mean, it was a, obviously it was a brilliant idea to put taco in because he had to put pressure on the inbounder, but to come out in a zone <laughs> was such a weird because you're inherently more likely to give up threes in a zone than you are in man-to-man or anything else. Like they could have gone like box and one, they could have gone man-to-man, they could have just switched screens, but they were in a zone and you let, and they let OG leak to the far side corner. All Lowry has to do and credit to him, um, you know, credit, credit, credit to, to, to Kyle Lowry for delivering just a beautiful pass, but they really didn't play that inbound well at all. Yeah, and, and credit to Kyle Lowry as well because he used his surroundings to his advantage. And that's something him and Chris Paul and Damian Lillard have made careers off of. Uh, you can dominate as much as you can offensively and defensively, but it's the little things, uh, the game within the game, that can really separate these point guards. And Kyle Lowry noticed that there wasn't fans or anybody sitting behind him, so he backed up a little bit to give himself right. more room to separate from the inbound defender and deliver that pass. This series has been fantastic. I think it goes seven games. With Boston and Toronto, there's so much depth. With Toronto, 
defensively, I think they're one of the best teams in the league. And, and Boston, they're probably the most switchable defense in the league. I mean, if you set a screen, you get Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. I mean, multiple players coming off the screens that can really defend one through five. So in this series, it's been good offense, but it's really been the defense that I've noticed. And Kemba Walker has elevated the Celtics completely defensively. Uh, offensively, they've, they've always had good attacks from their guards, but defensively, Kemba Walker has, has been really helpful this series for Boston. Uh, with Toronto, I wanted to look at their defense and also Miami's because those two have really stood out during this series. But what Toronto, excuse me, what, what Toronto and, and Miami normally do is like they sink into the shell kind of in the paint. And by sinking into the shell, it's creating this log jam of defenders. And you're deterring your opponents from driving downhill to the basket. You're really taking away right. easy production of points. Uh, Toronto kind of intends to make this driving space more contested. And more importantly, they eliminate the alternative routes that other ball handlers can take if they meet a double team. And that's why these teams are so good defensively. So for a team like Toronto, they try to throw their opponent off of, of their rhythm, throw them out of their comfort zone early. They, they're, they're, they're great with adapting. Nick Nurse is coach of the year for a reason, so defensively they can throw different looks out. But what I thought has really gotten Boston in the past two games is that Toronto has adjusted differently to screens. So rather than playing help defense down low in the post and kind of swarm to prevent a post bucket, they'll sacrifice the two and they'd rather take away the three. So off of the screen or, or, or if it's one pass away, a Toronto defender will run to close out around the perimeter, and they'd rather give up that post two-point than the three-point shot. And because of that, Toronto has done a really good job defensively the past two games, and they even this series. So Boston had an opportunity to bury Toronto, but now Toronto's kicked back. And I, I genuinely think this goes seven games. If I had to make a prediction – I would say Toronto, just based upon the depth that they have, they have a lot of shooters, a lot of good offensive and defensive depth. Uh, but credit where credit's due, Boston is looking like a legitimate contender. Yeah, and you know, I, I, well, I, I have, a, I have identified a couple problems with the Raptors that I think are going to hinder them, or at least have hindered them thus far. Mm -hmm. um, one is that like Marcus Sol in the high pick and roll isn't even looking at the rim. Like yeah. he he's terrified of shooting the ball right now. He has no confidence. He he receives passes and then they they run like two different actions from either side of the wing. And he's not even he's just looking for the next person or or he's looking for the for the next DHO. He's like, come get the ball from you. He's not even looking up at the rim. The only time he's attempting shots are when they're like floaters. Um, so that's a problem for, for the for the Raptors offense. And then you know, and I'm sure eventually he'll like snap out of it and he'll he'll hit a couple because he had because of Obviously, he's gonna. He's a good player, but I also I, I I think their offense has already shown other holes where, like, eventually there's gonna be a straw that breaks the camel's back, and I don't think having Gasol be so passive is 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 something that they can live with. Um, secondary is that they're initiating pick. They're initiating plays with Pascal Siakam as a creator far too high up on, on, on the court. Like they're they're he he's better off as an initiating the offense from like the elbow area or even like within the three point line. Where they have him right now is like he's attacking to one side, he's stopping and then turning and trying to pass back. And it's you're just not making any progression on the play. So I think they've kind of exposed Pascal Siakam as somebody who isn't really this like 
this 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 you know creator from outside the arc that 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 they need him to, that they're trying to make him out to be. And but I do think that he can create from inside, like from the post area. I think he's quicker than most wings. I think he's more skilled than, than you know than some guys are equipped to handle. So I think they're initiating him too high. It should only be like Fred Van Vliet, um, Norman Powell, or Kyle Lowry. But I think having Pascal up top has or outside the arc has proven to be just like a waste of, of precious seconds off of the shot clock. Um, but I, I I I think that the Celtics. Their small ball stuff is just too good, um, and, yeah. and and they've really done a good job with that. And I think the fact that they're so young has really helped them because they don't have to rely on their depth. And their depth, um, um, you know, the, the, their the, their their depth is so, um, I guess, inconsistent. I'd say like Brad Wanamaker is one of their best bench players, which is not not a great not great for the state of your team. Like they have depth at the big man spots, but they don't have depth behind like Tatum Brown, especially with Gordon Hayward out. And so the only concern I have for them is like there is would be that. But then again, like Jalen Brown's 24. Jason Tatum's like 22. Yeah. Kemba's 29. Um so you know I, I would pick Boston to win the series okay. in six or seven. What I said with the first game uh, was that it, it wasn't necessarily a fluke for Boston winning that game, but Toronto was definitely riddled by foul trouble. I believe they had 11 personal fouls in the first half of that game. And Pascal Siakam was a recipient of, I believe, three or early. So Pascal was really neutralized, and Boston's defense did a really good job rotating. That's That's what they in Houston are good at. If you play small, you damn sure better be able to rotate well on the floor. And, and Boston does that nicely. Uh, with Toronto, though, I think they're less so, – so when Boston beats Toronto in game two, Marcus Smart goes nuclear in the fourth quarter and basically single-handedly beats Toronto with his three-point shooting. If you take that and what happened to them in the first game with the personal foul trouble, I think Toronto is going to win this series. And I just think there, there's too much for Boston to match up with. Like, with Boston, if they're not hitting that three ball, if they're not getting out transition and, and making opponents pay for turning the ball over, they turn the ball over, and they do it a lot. And shooting threes and making them really masks that. But if Toronto can lock in defensively and get Boston to turn the ball over, I think they can end this series quicker. Um, but I'm going to say seven games Toronto and seven, you say Boston. Uh, that makes for a good podcast, though, because <laughs> I don't disagree. Got to have disagreement sometimes on this podcast, yeah. let me say. Um, now let's go over to, to the Heat and the Bucks. Yeah, and um, that's been a that's been a tremendous series too. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing it's exposed is that, like, people are going to say Ben Simmons has to shoot the ball, but I do, I th- I don't see how you can watch this series and say like, oh, I'm good with Giannis like pulling up for threes when there are you know. Guys screening on the other side of the court. There, 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 there are guys that, um, you know, there, there, there are guys that 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 have better looks, and Giannis is just pulling up for threes, and he's not even close. In game three, he was zero of seven uh, from from deep, and so I think his court or his, you know, his shot selection has um, been very bad at times, and I think also like they've exposed the fact that the Bucks have gotten lucky for two seasons now with, okay, we're going to have the best defensive rating, but also 
give up the, like, like allow the most threes in the NBA. So like they've gotten lucky because they give up open threes. Just teams don't hit them until now because the Heat are a very good three point shooting team, and it's exposed the Bucks defensively. And I don't think the Budenholzer hasn't shown any willingness to adapt or adjust. Like he said before Game Three, we're playing them thirty. We're playing um, Middleton and Giannis 35, 36 minutes. That's it. Um, and then they played just that in Game Three, knowing the history. All bets are off. You got to play them forty plus. That's what, um, what? That's what Nick Nurse did with, with yeah. the series on the line. I mean, Kyle Lowry Nick, minutes. Nick Nurse played played uh, uh, Giannis more in the All Star game than than No, like he actually played him more minutes in the All Star game than <laughs> um that than Budenholzer has done through two se- like through the season with Giannis, which is astronomically insane. Yeah. Um, but you know. <laughs> The, the, but but credit to you know to to the Heat, um, they've built they've built a tremendous tremendous roster around Jimmy Butler, and he's he, he's come out and he's played for them. He's he's done an unbelievable job with them, and um, their shooting is just backbreaking. And they function at a very high level. They play at a very high level, and they don't miss open shots. And they they they, they every time they have you down, like they're they're making every necessary play. To, to to keep you down and then they they've just absolutely roasted um you know the the, the Milwaukee offense in, in the closing minutes of games and they and they've really come about to you know they're trapped they're coming over and helping at the exactly the right time they're shutting down the the bucks three-point shooting the bucks were 11 or 35 the other night um from 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 three and so it's really been a a, a full-blown just masterpiece of basketball from the Miami Heat standpoint, and the Bucks have just looked completely outplayed and, and quite frankly exposed for what they are, which is they're frauds. They've always been frauds. They have no shot creators outside of really. I mean, you could call Giannis a shot creator, but he's not like hitting step back shots. Like like Middleton's like a nice player, but it's more of a good story than like the fact that he is just killing good teams. Like he's he was he was he no one wanted the ball the other night. No one wanted the ball. They should never have let Malcolm Brogdon go. That was that 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 might have been the thing that sort of killed them as a franchise. You know, with with with, with as far as you know having Giannis goes, that was a that was an initiator of the pick and roll. That was a creator. And Bledsoe is like a nice player, but he's not this offensive dynamo and dynamic player that can make threes, can, can create off the dribble. George Hill kind of fills the void, but he's still like isn't that that great. Um, but, you know, I, I will say this. And, you know, I'm I'm 99% sure the Heat are going to win this series. But I do think that if there ever were a, a time for there to be that one team to do it, it's not bad to have the former MVP, to have the MVP on your team, and I don't think they, I don't think the Buck will do it. I don't think they will. But I mean, I guess there's a lane or an avenue where you could see it maybe happening. I don't think they'll do it. I don't think they'll do it. But I, I do think they have like a, a a better chance than historically teams do, because I mean, look at what they have. That I mean, you have you have Giannis now uh, uh, again. Just so that way, this isn't like recycled and thrown back into my face. 
I don't think they're going to do it. I think the Heat are going to win in four or five. But I, I, I do think there's a possibility that they could be the team to do it. Um, but I think the Heat are too good. And I think Coach Bo has run circles, run yeah. circles around around Budenholzer. I mean, um, you know, they they instilled this confidence in in their players, and you know, the mental strength of it is as you know dominant as you know is, is anything. Like like you can have all the skill in the world if you don't believe in yourself, it's it doesn't matter. And the way that they've sort of developed and grown the confidence of Duncan Robinson, the way that they've um, you know grown the the you know they've they've grown and empowered um, oh, what's the, a hero Tyler Hero um, to to not only be a shooter but to be a ball handler in the pick and roll and like snake around screens and to get in the middle of the lane and finish weak hand off the glass. They 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 make their guys comfortable, and they say and they prove to them that like, hey, if you put in the work, we believe in what you can become. And you know they, that that culture goes down the roster, and they all buy in, and it's it's you know it's fun to watch. It really is. Yeah, Miami is a fantastic organization, and if you've watched any basketball this season, how Miami played in the regular season was a clear indication of how they do in the postseason. Uh, this is a team who has instilled a culture unparalleled that you just alluded to, Austin, and they're full of dogs, right? So you've got Kendrick Nunn, who's playing with a chip on his shoulder. You've got Ty Hero and Duncan Robinson, both with good backstories playing with chips on their shoulder. Jimmy Butler plays with the biggest chip on his shoulder in the entire NBA. And you can dispute that, but his performance in the postseason compared to the regular season, you can't deny that. And, and, and that's a clear indication to me that he may play on, on E in the regular season, but when he needs to play well, he cranks it up, and, and he proved he's still one of the more dangerous forces in the NBA. Now, For sure. given all of that, you're playing historically one of the most dominant teams in the regular season of all time. How does Miami prepare for that? What they do defensively is incredible. Now, you look at teams that may have played Milwaukee prior, and you think what you have to do to beat Milwaukee is pull the plug on everybody else around Giannis and let Giannis dominate. But what Miami has done is force Giannis to lose this series for Milwaukee. And that's crazy because Giannis, you mentioned it, an MVP and potentially MVP this season as well, is being completely neutralized by Miami. Now, defensively, the defensive player of the year in Giannis Antetokounmpo has defended Jimmy Butler for a grand two minutes and 49 seconds in this series. That comes oh, out. Don't even get me started with this bullshit. So not only is Giannis Antetokounmpo ducking Jimmy Butler, but on offense, Giannis has really derailed Milwaukee in this series. And I say that because Giannis has attempted the second most three-point shots on this team in this series, right? And yet he's made two of them. He can't hit anything at the free throw line. He's shooting less than 60% there. And for a guy that gets to the line as often as Giannis Antetokounmpo, you need to capitalize on these free throws. But what Miami is doing defensively is really what's winning them this series. Now, they have five players, and they kind of play their shell like Toronto, but all five are on one wavelength. So the other four players 
make the fifth player's life easier. The point of attack defender. His life is made easier by the other four on the court. That's if they're in man. They kind of morph between man, three, two, two, three. All of these different defensive looks for one common goal. And that's force indecisiveness. There's all this chaotic ball movement around the perimeter because of Miami's defense. Now, they're throwing stunts at Giannis, which has proven to work all series. And stunts are very simple. It's it's not a tough concept to grasp. If you're a weak side defender, a help side defender, wherever you are, you're just going to kind of – I don't know the word here. I don't want to use stunt in the definition of stunt. But you step over and kind of act like you're playing the double team. You're just kind of taking away the driving lane. And then you're going to run back to your guy if that's where the ball handler throws the ball to. If that's the escape route, passing the ball to the corner, and you are the defender that's playing in the stunt, you run your ass over to the corner to defend that shot. Now, in this series, Miami is, is, is running this defense so successfully because they don't have to respect anybody's shot on Milwaukee. Chris Middleton, 6 of 17 from deep. Kyle Korver only hit four threes. George Hill only hit four threes. Eric Bledsoe has only attempted four threes. And in the series prior, he shot less than 32% from deep. So really, Milwaukee has nobody around the perimeter right now other than maybe West Matthews or Middleton that Miami needs to respect every single possession. And because of that, they're able to devote so much defensive attention to stopping Giannis with these stunts. And when they throw these stunts at Giannis, it's creating this indecisiveness. It's leading to turnovers. Miami's able to get out and run. It's leading to bad possessions. It's leading to loose balls. So Miami defensively is putting on a clinic. And because of that, they've been able to control this series. Now, offensively, I mean, Miami is undefeated in the postseason right now. Miami hasn't lost a game. So you have to respect them and say they're just as hot as any other team because they haven't lost yet. So when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler that wants the ball on offense and wants the defensive assignment every time down, it just goes top down there. When you have a leader like that and given all the guys that are playing with chips on their shoulders, they're just creating this energy at all times where we're going to beat you or we're going to impose our will and you have to match us. And if you match us, you can beat us. But the two teams they faced in playoffs have not matched them. And Austin, this is my final point. I don't think Milwaukee's going to come back. And honestly, I, I would hope that Milwaukee would just roll over and die in this series. And <laughs> so do I. They're embarrassing. And the reason that is, is because... Like, they, like the, the Heat absolutely deserve to win this series. They have done everything well to win this series. They should win going away. Yeah. Yeah, so so with Milwaukee, the right pieces aren't around Giannis. And you can scapegoat Mike Budenholzer because he definitely deserves blame. Uh, this is the second consecutive season it's happened in Milwaukee, and it's not the first time a playoff team has underperformed in his career. But at the same time, Austin, you raise a great point. There's no primary playmaker. There is no Malcolm Brogdon. When something goes stale in the half court, when Giannis Antetokounmpo can't just halfback dive his way to the basket, you need something else. And Eric Bledsoe only attempting four threes and not initiating offense isn't enough to alleviate that pressure that Giannis is facing. Brooke Lopez can space the floor. Chris can space the floor. All of that is good as well, good and well. But if a team stops Giannis, 
the players around him have to step up. And, and Milwaukee is not well equipped to do that. So here's my last point. Here's why Milwaukee has to roll over and die in this series. They were outscored by 27 points in the fourth quarter in game three. According to ESPN Stats and Info, that is the worst differential in a fourth quarter playoff game in the shot clock era. Since 1955 in the postseason, opponent hasn't been outscored by that differential. Now, this is a team that people held as one of the most dominant teams in the NBA of all time, based upon their regular season statistics. For a team as good as Milwaukee was supposed to be, and for how good they were in the regular season, to lose by that margin in the fourth quarter, it's bigger than than just a product on the court. That indicates to me that either the players aren't there 100%, they're not behind the coach 100%, they don't want to be in this series 100%, but to lose by that margin in the fourth quarter with the reputation this team had, it was embarrassing. And for that reason, I, I think Milwaukee needs to – Hit the maybe not the reset button, but Milwaukee definitely needs to point some fingers this offseason. Yeah, and I think they have to make some 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 radical changes before they inevitably lose Giannis. Um, and I, you know, to me, he seems like the kind of dude um, who will be loyal, but I also think that he wants to win very badly. And I think he's willing to sort of sacrifice that loyalty for a chance to win with a franchise that he thinks can win. And I think that they've proven the last two years, like, yeah, we're great in the regular season. Just wait to the playoffs. And then what happens? <laughs> um, but one thing I wanted to say about, about, about Giannis and defensive stuff, um, he took Andre Iguodala as his assignment um, in, in down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And if you want to just know what Andre Iguodala has done in this series so far, uh, game one, two points. Game two, four points. Game three, six points. <laughs> Jimmy Butler in this series. Yeah, let's hear those numbers. 40 points. 13 points. 30 points. Over twenty, I think he's had over twenty points in 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 you know like like two consecutive second halves. There is absolutely no excuse for the winner of the Defensive Player of the Year award to ever ever defer to a teammate on the team's primary defensive assignment. He should I, – I don't care what anybody says about, about him being a, a fantastic help side defender. He, you have to have the pride and the drive to say, nah, get out of the way. This is my guy. I'm taking him. Yeah. They, they ha, he has willingly deferred, whether that be because I'm, I'm willing to listen to Coach Budenholzer, whatever you want to call it. He has willingly deferred and settled for, for defending Andre Iguodala while Chris Middleton takes Jimmy Butler. He should not have been defensive player of the year, and I think the the the, the awarding that has that 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 has gone on, as Ramona Shelburne even admitted herself, there's a narrative based element of it, and I think it's been completely exposed uh, this season. Yeah, of course. Now, with Giannis, the thing I will say, and and Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas tweeted this, and uh, he made a great point, kind of piggybacking what you said, Austin. 
Milwaukee's defense is kind of centered around Giannis Antetokounmpo and Brooke Lopez. It's kind of how they respond to the pick or the screens, and, and depending on where they are in the half court, uh, defensively what they're going to do. To put it in, in different terms, if you know football, you're familiar f- with football, the job of a linebacker, depending on what the play is or what they're in in coverage, is to read and react. So when the quarterback hands the football off, depending on what hole the running back goes through, where the block is, the linebacker has to read and react. Defensively, this is what Giannis does. If there's two screens at the top of the key, Giannis is going to stay way back and drop coverage and read and react because he's going to meet anybody driving or anybody within that area and block them or deflect the pass or steal the ball from them. But the problem that I noted when I made my Ben Simmons defense player of the year campaign. Which, by the way, say what you want about Ben Simmons. He should absolutely have one defensive player of the year. The only knock I can see against Ben Simmons is the fact that he missed 20 games with injury, whatever. But league in steals and deflections, regardless of missing those games. And he he was effective. He was the primary – Defensive assignment on the best player on the opposing team every time this season, and he was effective as such. It wasn't like he was getting burned by doing it; he was doing it and winning the battle. Exactly. So that was my point in in, in doing the Ben Simmons defense player year campaign. The thing I discovered was that Giannis and Kupo really don't guard other teams once. I mean, that's common for a player like James in year it's seventeen. But so embarrassing. For a guy that's winning defense player of the year, you would assume that he's defending the point of attack. And that's what Isaiah Thomas said in response to Jimmy Butler having that eruption of the first playoff game. I know Avery Bradley would take Jimmy Butler. I know I know Marcus Smart would want Jimmy Butler. I know Kawhi would want JB. There, there's players around the league that would say, listen, Coach. Do you? I think Kawhi – we'll get into this next, but I think Kawhi has kind of been very like – in, in, in the previous two, Kawhi has also been doing what Giannis has done in, in kind of playing help defense and staying off yeah. the point of attack. There's not many guys, honestly, that defend the point of attack as much as Ben does. But, you know, at a certain point, you kind of have to say it's the playoffs. We have a history here of losing. I need to step up and defend this guy. I don't care what pick and roll coverage we're in. I don't care who's supposed to be assigned to who. I can't let Jimmy Butler score 40 points. And – Unfortunately for Milwaukee, uh, Giannis seems content in complying with what Bood wants, and I, I, I guess Bood wanted a, a, a second-round exit for a consecutive season. The only thing I can think of is Giannis knows he shouldn't have won Defensive Player of the Year, and so he willingly accepts the secondary assignment, <laughs> knowing that there's a chance he got exposed, and he doesn't want to deal with that. that that's the only thing I can think of. Like. Either that, or like, then you don't care about winning that much. You care more about, you know, like, 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 if you're a competitor and you're a winner, and you've just won Defensive Player of the Year, you're the one seed facing the four seed, and you're down two games to nothing. You should say, "All due respect, Coach. No, I, I got this." And if you, and and if Jimmy still beats you, so be it. Jimmy's a great player. He still beats you. Whatever. But you have to go down at least giving your team the best chance to win. So I think it's a I, I think it's a sign of someone who is less about 
you know, the, 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 the winning aspect of it, or maybe he doesn't know how to go about the winning aspect and was concerned maybe about individual clout. And I, sound, I know that sounds hot takey, but like how else can you just like surmise it? No matter how you put it, it sounds as if Giannis was afraid of the matchup either way. Yeah. I mean, I, Listen, I, I never really cared about the hard work narratives. So when national media uh, wants to emphasize how hard Jimmy Butler claims he works or how hard Giannis claims he works. Careful. I believe, Careful. You're next. They're going to be I, in your DMs too. No, 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 I believe that. I believe that. <laughs> I, I was never one of those people that got mad at those reports because, honestly, you don't know what the hell is going on behind closed doors. I mean, these dudes are grinding their asses off 24 hours of the day. Uh, it's, it's a constant grind. So I'll never take that away from players. And I also wouldn't say that Giannis is ducking any smoke with anybody because he ultimately is one of the better players in the NBA and, and he is one of the highest potentials of any player in the NBA. But having said that, at some point, you just got to take accountability. And, and, and this is my last point. And just man the hell up and say, I'm not letting Jimmy Butler give me 40 or 30. I'm not letting my teammate get pieced like that for the entire duration of the game. And it's not like Miami. So Bam Adebayo is a Giannis stopper. But you don't need a Bam Adebayo stopper. He's a fantastic basketball player. I believe emerging as, as a top 12 player. But you don't need a defensive stopper for Bam Adebayo. So if Giannis isn't defending Bam or if Giannis isn't defending a big on Miami, I don't see why he couldn't stop and, and defend Jimmy Butler. But nonetheless, that series seems about all just wrapped up. And if, if I'm on the wrong side of history for saying that, then I, I'd, I'd be glad because teams down 0-3 in this spot are, I believe, 0-139 or 0-140. So it seems about all just done. But Austin, before we ended, because we only have uh, limited time left, let's go out west because there's there's – there's some good hoops happening out west too. Let me, let me ask you this one question. We don't talk about. Are you surprised that I'm getting texts from like, like people I went to high school with, or like, like you know, like my like my 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 college, my, my high school basketball coach texts me all the time. We, we always talk. The people are texting me saying they'd rather have Ben Simmons than Giannis. Are they actually? Yeah. <laughs> which like, which like obviously he isn't the dominant scorer. That Giannis is, but I mean, do you think Giannis is as good as as good of a passer as Ben is? Shit, listen, Austin. A couple of weeks ago, I said Giannis was the modern day rendition of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, Jesus I Christ, publicly, I don't want to say any anything. Uh, oh my God, Giannis here because that that take is somewhere out there. Let's 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 get him out of the uh, out of the conference finals first. How about that? Before we talk yeah. about the Korean Abdul Jabbar, yeah. um, but yeah, let's 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 go out let's go out west. Um, I think. Well, so first, who, who do you think wins today? Bucks or Bucks or Heat? It'd be sad for Giannis if he went out like that for a sweep, but I don't know. He's questionable. He he might have a a rolled ankle, and that would be pathetic if he sits this game out. It'd be yeah, pathetic. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to take Miami to, to put the dagger in Milwaukee's heart today. I have no feel about this game. I have absolutely no feel. I can see it going either way. That's how I felt about this whole playoffs. There, there's so much parity that, like, I don't even know if LeBron James is going to beat Damian Lillard. That's how I'm feeling in the first round. He beats Dame. 
And now my I, boy Beard, my boy Beard is giving him a thirty piece. So I I could see the the, the Heat winning by like fifteen. Today? I could see the I could see the Bucks winning by twenty eight. Like, like I I have no feel for this game today. I have no idea. I, no, I, I think the Bucks want to play with pride and they don't want to go out like this. Yeah. But I also think that they that 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 they've been demoralized throughout the series. Um, but going out west for the brief period of time we have left, um, I think the Clippers are going to be done with the Nuggets before the Lakers are done with the uh, the, with the Rockets. Really? I think the small ball stuff that the that the, that the Rockets are doing um, is 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 like not groundbreaking because it's been around for a while, but I think it's really causing a lot of problems. And I, like, I even tweeted this out a couple of days ago. That I think the adjustment has to be that you you, you can't play Dwight or uh, JaVale. And I think you have to go with AD and actually go five out. Because as soon as they try to like post up and make entry passes, the Rockets are just swarming. And they're tipping passes. They're getting deflections. They're getting on the floor. P.J. Tucker's giving them a lot of problems. You can't even bring the ball low anymore because he, he, he can get his hands in there. Um I mean, I, I think inevitably the Rockets are going to have like a bad shooting night when it's like when Russ is like 12 of 30 and James is like 8 of 22 and with like eight turnovers. Uh, but I, 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 I do think that the Rockets can give the Lakers some fits. And I think they're, I even wrote about this for, for Vince Quinn's website, um, The Spark. Like, the Celtics and the Rockets are actively phasing the, the traditional big man out of the NBA. Like, I think, I think if, I, I, I think, um, if, if, if you're not Embiid, if you're not Jokic, if you're not Carl Anthony Towns, and I don't even know if I consider Bam a power forward or a center. I guess like he's a Swiss Army knife in that aspect. So I'll I'll include him. Like if you're not one of those four, you have a real problem coming up because you you can't play. And I, and I mean I mean because they're just devouring in the pick and roll. Once they get past that screen and they get the def- and, and 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 you know whether whether you drop back or um or you know it or or you come up to to, to trap or blitz. Either way, they're just not quick enough to handle the ball handlers. And I think it's becoming a real problem for for teams like the Lakers. Now, I, I just got a couple of texts from my dad, and, and I just had to shout this out because this is actually a really good idea that I didn't even think of. Is he listening to us? Of course, yeah. Shout out Brock's dad, Mr. Landis, always a loyal listener. We got to get him a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah we got <laughs> so, so listen, with the Rockets and the Lakers, I, I've said this numerous times, right? Anthony Davis is such a good enough big where if he imposes his will upon a team, they're forced to match that. Because Houston doesn't have a big, they don't have to match that in the same way. If Houston imposes their will shooting the basketball, they almost force the Lakers to match it. In this series, and it's a very small sample size, so so take it with a grain of salt, Houston has performed really well, and the Lakers with Anthony Davis at the five versus the four have performed horribly. And, And that's a huge difference because if you have a guy like Dwight or JaVale on the floor, with Anthony Davis, there's two dudes over 6'10". That matters with an offense like Houston's. Houston is going to isolate. They're going to run screens. But at the end of the day, their offense comes down to a one-on-one so they can kick. 
Now, if you can get James Harden on Dwight Howard after his screen, that's a bucket. And if you don't, when James Harden comes to play hell defense after James Harden beats Deion Waiters or Casey Pierre Caruso, when Howard comes to crash, it's a corner kick for an easy three. So I think Houston offensively did a really nice job imposing their will. But my dad raises this point, and it's intriguing. In the regular season and the bubble alike, the Lakers were one of the most successful teams in the paint, in the post as well. They generated a lot of assists and a lot of points from the post. Wait, is your is your dad just like doing the stats thing with you where it's like he's also on the computer looking at the advanced stats? No, he's no, like, no, Rock, no, you got to no, see this. No, no, no. He's not a stat guy, but he's coached basketball and played for – Oh, I love it. I love it. We got to have him – we got to have him on the podcast as a guest. We, we can look into that. <laughs> um, but what he said, ultimately why, why I did all of this, was that LeBron sh- should be in the post. The Lakers should run the offense through LeBron in the post. And I think it's a good idea. For a team that was as yep. good at post as the Lakers, LeBron's going to generate a ton of assists from the post. The guys can hit shots around the perimeter. LeBron's more skilled in the post probably than Anthony Davis just in terms of his footwork and, and passing out and scoring and, and getting creative with pockets. Uh, so I, I don't know where AD would be. It, maybe you do run five out. LeBron is, is the focal point of the post there. But uh, the Lakers definitely have to adjust. They can't just let this keep happening. So I'm curious to see how the Lakers adjust, but that's definitely one creative way they, they could. So yeah, shout out to my dad there. <laughs> Got to have this with on the podcast, 100%. Um, now – one thing I will say that I think is a really good point that you made is the fact that um, I always get burpy when I have a podcast. I always get burpy mid-podcast. It's really annoying. But anyway, um, like in Cleveland, Ty Lu ran LeBron in the high post so much, and it was great for their offense. So I think that's something that could really work. I think it's a great idea that you brought up. Um, and I guess that the tone that I used probably thought that I had more coming, but I just wanted to say that. So done with that conversation um but i do think shooting is an issue for the lakers they don't have enough spacing and i think the i think you have to go with i mean i i think the the best solution to their to to what to counter houston ad lebron um kuzma okay um rondo out there no danny green danny green he can't make a shot either and then who were they? Were they starting Rondo? No, I don't believe so. Who is starting at point guard? Is it LeBron point guard? I forget. Well, then anyway. So then I guess like 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 AD, Markeith, Kuz, Danny Green, LeBron. I mean, that's like a that's like small ball ish. But at least it's enough to counter the Rockets when they go small ball. So that way you're not like – like you don't have like JaVale fouling dudes and getting the ball ripped out of his hands and whatnot. Um, let's go over to the Clippers now and Nuggets. Yeah. And I think the, the Clippers win the series in five because I think they're just too deep. And I think that I think that they, their small ball can give Denver a lot of problems. And last night they gave the, the Clippers fits because they were just hitting every three they took. And they gave them their best game. And then the Clippers still made it a close one down the stretch. And so I think that that, that series, like, like it's tie 1-1, one, one, but I, I think that goes like five. Um, but one thing that kind of caught my eye is um, that the Jamal Murray-Jokic two-man game is just so much fun to watch. 
Um, and and you know I'm not like a huge Jokic guy, but I I, I think Jokic like like the way that or no wait I don't know I know what I'm talking about <laughs> the Yo- the Jokic Murray two man game is is dope, but I think the Clippers in their two man game of of Trez and Lou Will is so much fun. That's like an awesome two man game to watch off the bench. Like last night there was this play like in the third, third or fourth quarter. I forget which one, but like Lou will tax, tax the rim. And, um, you know, Trez like pops out and, um, what's, what's the, what, what's, what's the blonde guy's name for Denver? The who? The, the, the blonde guy. Who, Mason Plumley? Plumley, Plumley, Mason Plumley. And, um, and, and Murray, they both converge on the uh, on on the lane to, to cut off Lou Will, and he kicks it back out to to, to, to Trez, yeah. and then Trez is like looking for Lou Will to come around and get the get the DHO to reset the play, and both go back and they miscommunicate on on Lou Will, and they leave the lane, and Trez just pops right down the middle and just gallops in and dunks it. So, I think they have a really really fun two man game, and I think I think that those two like it's unprecedented that the Clippers have two candidates for six man of the year on the same team. And they, those two just play so well off of each other and they're so much fun to watch. And then the fact like, like, like you throw in, they have Marcus Morris, who's become this insane, like contested shot maker where like, he doesn't even need space. All he needs to do is like take one jab step and rise up and he can hit a three in your face. Um, and then they have like Paul George running the pin down plays and like off ball Kawhi. Kawhi was like switching. It was like trying to get switches off of Jeremy Grant last night at the elbow. And then he gets to switch back on the Grant and then decides to score. Like he's like, I'm going to switch off. I'm going to switch back on you. And then I'm going to score on you. Like, like what the hell are you doing? You're just running these weird plays, but, they, and but they're just so damn dominant and they're so deep and they can just flip a switch anytime they want. I, I don't see the series going more than five. I'm a little different. I, I can't really make up my mind as to who I want uh, to pick to win this series, but I think it goes at least six games. Really? Yeah, these are two really competitive teams. The thing that I saw with the Nuggets and, and the reason why you almost knew they were going to lose the first game is because they interviewed Jamal Murray after he just drops off Utah. And they're like, all right, what are you going to do to prepare for the Clippers series in two days? He's like, you said two days we're playing in two days? That's, that's all the rest we got? They're like, yeah. So it kind of makes sense why – Denver came out so sluggish in game one and then rebounded the way they did in game two. The thing I'll say is at times Denver as a collective looks like they play better defense than the Clippers. And that's strange because the Clippers are a better defensive team, but with the Clippers, it's really any given night they, they could come out looking like the best team in basketball, all with one common goal. And on other nights, they look like a complete incompetent group. There's little to no cohesion. I think that the fact that Denver has two of the top five scorers in the NBA playoffs bodes well for them. Uh, one comes at the point guard, one comes at center. So you're getting production top to bottom. And I think a thing for, for, for Denver that also bodes well is coaching. I, I think Mike Malone is a really good adjustments coach. And because of that, that's going to help them throughout the series. I don't think Los Angeles is going to throw anything at Denver. That's really going to make them feel the type of way. Um, but, Austin, you do raise a good point. I mean, yesterday Denver was shooting like over 70% in the first half. They had a ton of points, 20-plus both from, from Jokic and Murray early. So 
despite all of that, it was still a closed game. Um, yeah. I think that's definitely something to monitor. Uh, but then again, I saw Kawhi Leonard on skates a couple of times last night, and, and that's not something that I'm used to seeing. So uh, I think Jamal Murray's doing a really good job offensively. The addition of Gary Harris helps. Nikola Jokic uh, is, is, is operating as per usual. So I think it goes at least six. And I'm going to pick Denver to win the series on tape right now. I don't really want to, but. Olaf takes exposed. <laughs> All right, real quick before we get you out of here. I know that we both have. I'm going to watch the Phillies and I got some stuff to do. Yeah. Um, and I, and I know you probably have your own uh, thing to do. What do you get? Like another Italian haircut today? We get the little. Oh, man. <laughs> What's up with this, man? Um, but real quick, I want to get to some of the comments. Um, first, Moses and Carlo Students World. I love that these two are just like having a back and forth conversation in our comments. Like, I think it's just, I think it's tremendous. Um, and I, I, I love that environment that like we've created where we can like talk while they have their own side conversation. Like, just tremendous. Con- I love it. Keep it up, uh, Moses, who appears to also be a Heat fan. Weird. They're all in. <laughs> I guess I got invaded today. Um, which coach should the Sixers hire? I think it's a done deal. I think it's I think it's done. I think Ty Lue is going to be the guy. I I, I think that they that, that the report slipped slipped out last week, and they the PR was like, cut that shit out. Like we we can't let that out yet. But I think it's under wraps. Um, and so um, that's what I think is going to happen with the coach. Do you do you think any differently, or do you think it's basically set in stone? I'm going to trust your gut here. You're, you're my source. You broke the Steve Nash hiring. So I'm going to trust your gut here. I also think Ty Lue's the hire. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's more changes in the front office. Or yeah. Last thing, I listened to the Ricky today. Mm-hmm. And both Mike and Spike were very big endorsers and proponents of tr- trading for Zach Levine. And it kind of yeah. made me – it kind of it like made me wonder. Like, hmm, I wonder where I'd heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can't argue stupid all that. Brock, uh, any last words and parting shots? No, sir. Rip Kobe. Rip Bean. There we go. There we go. He is Landis Brock on Twitter. You can find him in real life at your local shopping mall, maybe getting a haircut and getting getting that 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 uh that oil lather up. Yeah, uh, and then when, and when you do find him, you'd call him Brock Landis, not Landis Brock. You can yeah. find me on real, real life, Austin Krell. Um, on Twitter, I am KrellTPL. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Uh, be sure to uh, follow us on Twitter at the Feed to Embed. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the Painted Lines. Give us, uh, you know, subscribe to us on Apple Pods and leave a five star rating and review. As always, thank you for listening to the Feed to Embed. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a good Sunday, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Feed to Embed. Do you like shotgunning beer? Do you want to increase your shotgun time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent plunger, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. on Instagram and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all products, enter the code TRUSTACOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. 
The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2020.